Let's uh, prepare to have a look at this next part of Exodus and uh, a number of other passages together as we uh, look at uh, quite a few chapters from Exodus this morning, considering the the instructions and building of the tabernacle. and uh, the passages we'll be looking at will come up on the screen uh, for you as we go along as well. Please pray with me as we look at God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that in your Word, the Bible, you teach us about yourself. You teach us about who you are and uh, who we are as your people. You teach us how to live as your people. Help us uh, to learn and grow today and help us by what we learn to uh, honour you more and more in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A child needs their parents to be with them. Uh, imagine an experiment. Imagine leaving a toddler, say a 14-month-old, alone all day. You set up cameras around the house to record their movements and you leave them without their parents all day to see what will happen. Uh, I say imagine because no one would ever perform such an experiment. Uh, how do you think a child would go uh, for that day? How, how, how do you think that day would go? Uh, first of all, imagine them waking up in their, their cot. They cry out for an hour or so, but no one comes. So they try to get out of their cot on their own. At this point, many would likely fail uh, and be left to cry in their, in their cot all day. But imagine, uh, you know, plenty of industrious toddlers would be able to climb out of their cot and they out they get and they start to uh, toddle around the house looking for company, looking for someone. Uh, the family dog bails them up in the hallway. They're stuck between their room and the, the, the dog and the, the enthusiastic animal almost licks them to death. They have no way of escape. The dog finally goes off to find something else to amuse them. The child recovers from that assault of saliva and realises, well, now they're hungry. They go in search of food, find their way to the kitchen, but they can't open the fridge and the biscuits are way up there on the, the third shelf of the pantry. So uh, what are they going to do? Eat raw potatoes from the veg- veggie basket on the, the bottom shelf, maybe. If they get hungry enough, they might resort to that. Uh, I imagine at the end of a day like this, and you can imagine more and more things happening and going wrong for the poor child, uh, most kids would end up hungry, tired, frightened, probably curled up in a ball, uh, crying somewhere, crying out for their parents, no idea what to do or how to meet their needs. Uh, And that's a fairly tame version of events, I've imagined as well. A child could really hurt themselves alone without parents all day. Uh, It's the nature of being a child. They can't survive without constant supervision, guidance and protection. Uh, And they need this constantly as they grow. We know the consequences for children who do lack proper parenting. Child needs their parents to be with them. In the book of Exodus, uh, Israel are a bit like a child. They're, they're like a child who simply need their father God to be with them. Uh, Israel start the book trapped, uh, not in their cot, but in the land of Egypt. Slaves to Pharaoh, no way to free themselves. God rescues them. From slavery, they cry out and God rescues them from Egypt. But which way do they go now? Well, God guides them by day and by night with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They find themselves trapped between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. It's not just an enthusiastic licking that they face, but death at the sword point of Pharaoh's army. And again, God saves them. They wander in the desert uh, without food or water, 
unable to provide for themselves, and then God is there again, despite their grumbling, <laughs> providing their needs, giving them food and water daily. And at the place we're at now, uh, at this point in Exodus, God has brought Israel to Mount Sinai. Uh, they're on their way to the Promised Land, and they, they must have been wondering all along now, well, how do we live now as God's people? How do we live as an independent nation? Centuries of slavery uh, have no doubt not been good for them, haven't, hasn't trained them to live as God's people. And so God stops here at Mount Sinai and gives them all the guidance and instruction They'll need, he lays out the laws and commandments that will guide their life as a nation. If they follow these rules, uh, they will stand out as the people of God. They will be his special people. Uh, all along in the story of Exodus, we see that Israel's greatest need, like a, like a child needs their parents, is for their God to be with them. And all the way, God is there. Uh, God will even be there at their lowest point. As we'll see next week, even as Israel get sick of waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain and decide to make new gods for themselves, bowing down to a golden calf, even then God will be with his people. Uh, we'll finish in Exodus by looking at that, uh, that part of the book next week. Uh, as that event unfolds, Moses will plead with God and he expresses the great need of Israel that God be with them. Uh, chapter 33. Verses 15 to 17. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go up with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Uh, God demonstrates uh, his grace to Israel at that point, and we'll look more into that part of the story next week. Uh, God does not abandon his people. He promises to be with his people, uh, as, as, he, as he will do over and over, as we've seen him doing over and over through the book, knowing exactly what Israel needs. Uh, God won't abandon them. He will be with them as their God. And the symbol of God's presence with Israel, the sign that shows God is with them, uh, we are told, is the tabernacle. Either side of, of the incident with the golden calf, we have roughly 13 chapters dedicated to the tabernacle. That's about a third of the book. So you know that this is important. Uh, before the golden calf, from chapters 25 to 31, there are several chapters of instruction, how each part of the tabernacle is to be made, and the several chapters after the golden calf, from 35 to 41, uh, are about construction in almost identical language to the earlier chapters. Uh, that they describe the, the actual implementation of the instructions. As you read through parts of the Bible like this, you, you may feel like it's a little dull or boring. Uh, you may think, wow, this is a lot of repetition here. This is just a lot of detail. Uh, I know a guy who has a bowl of raw oats and milk for breakfast every morning. Uh, and not the quick oats that you make your porridge out of either. <laughs> the, the raw pressed oats with the bits of husk and rough bits all through it. Uh, every morning, that's his breakfast. Reading through the chapters on the tabernacle can be a bit like working through that bowl of oats. Uh, but the sheer volume of material tells us how significant the tabernacle is. And it's significant because it symbolises God's presence with his people. Uh, that's the promise God makes to Moses uh, in chapter 25. Uh, have a look back there at chapter 25. He tells Moses to have the Israelites bring their offerings and materials 
And he says in verses 8 and 9, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Sanctuary, where God will dwell among his people. Uh, What is a tabernacle? It's basically a tent. Israel are living in tents in the desert, and so if God is going to live with his people, he'll need a tent too. Uh, But it's no ordinary tent. (laughs) The nature of it and its contents show how important it is. This is the place where God... Uh, will meet with his people where his people will uh, gather to him and offer sacrifices to him. Uh, and so the materials used, uh, as we read through, are incredibly v- valuable materials, durable uh, dyed leather for the outer, acacia wood for the frames with silver bases, uh, fine fabrics for the inner curtains, embroidered linen and golden curtain rings, uh, the altar made of acacia wood and bronze, the table for the bread of the presence made of acacia wood and gold, uh, with, with plates and dishes and pitchers and bowls all made of pure gold. Uh, the lampstand made of acacia wood and gold, intricate garments for the priests of fabric and gold and precious stones. The altar of incense made of acacia wood and gold. Uh, And to build all these things and to make the tabernacle, God provided expert craftsmen. This wasn't just something they were just going to throw up. Expert craftsmen, Bezalel and Oholiab, to design and oversee the construction of all these amazing things. The tabernacle is obviously to be a very special place. It's full of the best materials available. And did you hear the word gold there a few times? Uh, as I was listing out the items, in the tabernacle there is gold absolutely everywhere. Uh, gold is the, the ultimate sign of value, isn't it? Uh, if you want to say something's important or valuable, you put gold on it. Uh, I've, I've got a picture here of something uh, for you. Uh, in the Netherlands, you can buy the world's most expensive hamburger. Uh, Chef uh, Robert uh, Jandeveen of De Dalton's Diner in Vorthusen. Uh, our Dutch friends can correct my pronunciation later if that was wrong. Uh, Vorthusen, uh, he has created a burger called the Golden Boy. Uh, it has an A5 Japanese Wagyu beef patty and chuck short ribs. It's topped with white truffles, Italian ham, onion rings with Dom Perignon in the batter. Uh, beluga caviar and king crab. Uh, the barbecue sauce has Kopi Luwak coffee and Macallan's single malt whiskey in it. Uh, I know, it's, it's just sounding worse and worse. I mean, uh, all of this sandwiched between two halves of a saffron gold leaf bun. Uh, that also has some Dom Perignon in it. Uh, De Dalton's <laughs> describes the bur- burger's flavour as intense. Um, I don't think people buy the burger for its flavour, yeah? Uh, All that gold. Why would you put gold on a burger? Because you want to give it value. You want to tell how important and valuable it is. Gold is the symbol of importance, of opulence, of wealth, of value. And there's a lot of gold in the tabernacle. (laughs) That's impressive because it is, in a way, a representation of heaven on earth. This is where God is going to dwell with his people. Now, the first object Moses receives instruction for is the Ark of the Covenant. A wooden chest, Ark, simply means a box in Hebrew, a box, a chest, overlaid with gold inside and out. 
The tablets of the testimony are inside and over the top, uh, the atonement cover with uh, gold, solid gold cherubim angels facing each other and spreading their wings over the ark. Uh, God tells Moses, uh, chapter 25, verse 22, There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and will give you all my commands for the Israelites. The ark is often described as the throne of God. Uh, so holy that if you touch it, you will die. This is the focus of God's presence in the tabernacle. Uh, an important symbol of uh, the presence of God. And so this is the very first item to be described. Then the, the many other items, the table, uh, the, the lampstands, the altar, the basins, the priestly garments, all designed to have their place in the system of sacrifice and service which God's people are to perform in obedience to his laws, all the things which set them apart and show that he is their God and they are his people. Uh, the ark is central inside the tent of meeting in the Holy of Holies. And there's a courtyard walled with curtains and the priests serve uh, inside the courtyard. Uh, this is the beginning of the religious cult of Israel, the sacrificial and religious system by which Israel worship and serve their God, the system that sets them apart as his people. At this stage in the life of Israel, it's all centered on the tabernacle. So the instructions are given. Uh, in the final chapters of Exodus, the construction is completed. Uh, Moses inspects and sees that everything has been done as God commanded. Then they put up the tabernacle with all its furnishings, uh, the courtyard. They consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. And then finally, as the climax to the entire book of Exodus, God enters the tabernacle. Uh, this isn't purely symbolic. <laughs> uh, God makes it clear that he really is present with Israel in the tabernacle. Uh, read the last few verses uh, with me, chapter 40 and verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Now, there were many ways that the Israelites knew God was with them. Uh, the tabernacle was one very important sign of God dwelling with his people. It was the, the key sign of God dwelling with his people. Uh, by the end of the book of Exodus, despite all the difficulties and the close calls and the grumbling and the rebellion, we're left with a very comforting and powerful image of God with Israel. Uh, Israel must have I've looked at that cloud resting over the tabernacle day after day and must have been filled with comfort and security. Wonderful thing to know that God is with them like a little toddler needs their parents. Well, what Israel need more than anything is for their God. It's a sign of God's presence with Israel. He is there to lead, to instruct, to guide, protect them. And that concept of uh, God being with Israel, that promise of God, continues throughout the history 
of the nation, but the tabernacle goes through something of a transformation. Uh, God is always with his people, but just how that looks changes over time. Uh, For most of the Old Testament, it's still about where the Ark of the Covenant is. After Israel entered the Promised Land, the Tent of Meeting is set up in Shiloh, and the Ark of the Covenant is there for some time. It has a few misadventures until finally King David brings the Ark to Jerusalem. Uh, That's where Solomon builds the first temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. The Ark is triumphantly placed there, and again, like with the tabernacle, the cloud descends and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. Uh, The temple then becomes the centre of religious life in Israel, no longer the tabernacle but the temple. Same thing though, God is with them. Uh, His presence is there with them. Uh, And the the, the temple becomes the symbol of God's presence with his people. Over time, Israel's rebellion becomes so bad that God removes his presence for a time. In Ezekiel chapter 10, God's glory is described as departing from the temple uh, as he gives the people over to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Uh, Jerusalem is sacked. The temple's destroyed, everything valuable, carried away, all the gold removed. Uh, Where did the ark go? Well, we're not told. Uh, There are many fascinating theories and claims about where the ark might have gone or where it might even be today. I don't think even Indiana Jones can tell us, though. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is an aptly named movie. (laughs) The ark is lost. The people are taken into exile. After 70 years, they return from exile. The temple's rebuilt, but they have no king. They have no Ark of the Covenant. And the temple is nothing like Solomon's temple. Where is God? For centuries, they wonder when God will really be present with them again. The prophets promise that the temple will be restored. God will be with his people again. But when will this be? We get to the New Testament. We see God's presence return Uh, In an unexpected way, God is present with his people again, but now in the form of a person. The man, Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, The word translated, made his dwelling among us there, is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for tabernacle. Uh, The word became flesh and literally tabernacled amongst us. In Jesus, God pitched his tent and lived with his people. And Jesus refers to himself as the temple. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Jesus answered them. uh, He's he's just uh, sacked the temple and... turned the tables of the money changes over and the people are the, the, the Pharisees are angry at him he answers them destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days well, they replied it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days but the temple he had spoken of was his body God is dwelling with his people in the person of Jesus Christ Jesus it's the new covenant fulfillment of the presence of God with his people Those Old Testament structures of tabernacle and temple, they pointed forward and were fulfilled in the reality that is Jesus, God in the flesh. 
And thanks to Jesus, well, we look forward to a time when we'll be in the presence of God eternally. Uh, The reality of God's presence during Jesus' short life on earth is made eternally real when we finally get to heaven, where God himself will be with his people. Uh, John's vision of heaven in Revelation chapter 21 uh, describes this, which I read at the start of the service, verses 2 and 3 again. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of Heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among, among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the, the eternal uh, presence of God that we, we look forward to that we look forward to as his people. We look forward to being with him forever in heaven. But oh, what about now? Is it, is it just sort of pie in the sky when we die? Where is God's presence with his people before we get to heaven? <laughs> Jesus has ascended. Jesus is in heaven. We're not yet. How is God with us now? Well, Jesus takes care of that by giving us his spirit. If we put our faith in Jesus, he is present with us, lives in us by his spirit. Uh, Paul tells, uh, tells us in 1 Corinthians that we are his temple. Chapter 3 uh, of, of 1 Corinthians from verse 16, Paul says this to the church, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Further down in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul applies this to individual Christians. Uh, It's in the context of sexual behaviour, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. We honour God with our bodies because he lives in us. We we are temples of his spirit. Individually, we are temples, and together as a church, we are a temple. As members of the body of the Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with us by his spirit, and and so we live in ways that glorify God. Uh, So, of course, it's not just... uh, the way in which we worship and honour and glorify God, uh, it, it happens when we gather as a Sunday, when we come here as we do to praise God, to hear his word, to be built up as a church. And it happens, can happen at any time. We worship God uh, with all of our lives because we always have God's spirit living within us. And so we are always in God's presence, always living in worship of him. Our whole lives as Christians are to be directed by the Spirit. Israel uh, would have worshipped God in all of their lives as well. As we read through, uh, read through some of the laws God gave them last week, we see that their entire life as a nation was to be characterised by service to God. God was always present with his people. They had the Ark of the Covenant, they had the Tabernacle, and God's laws... Uh, covered everything to do with the tabernacle. The 
sacrifices, the offerings, as well as the way they lived together, as well as the way they treated each other on a daily basis. All of this is described in Exodus as Israel's service and worship of God. As Christians, we're constantly in the presence of God. We're to be, therefore, constantly worshipping him. Uh, Our whole lives are to be directed by God's spirit who lives in us. Uh, See what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And uh, in a passage we read last week, uh, Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As people who have our God always living in us by his spirit, we're to be constantly living in service and worship of him uh, when we gather and when we're apart. Uh, we are God's people. We are God's temple. This is, uh, this is the activity that brings meaning to every moment of our lives, bringing glory to the God who loves us and saves us and lives within us. Uh, just like Israel, we are like children before God, like a little child who can't even get out of our cot in the morning without his help. Uh, we need God to be with us. We rely on him for every breath, every day. When it comes to sin, we are trapped and helpless without him. We need him for forgiveness. We need him for redemption from slavery to sin and death. We need him for guidance and direction in life. We need him for protection from our own sinful desires to help us to resist temptation. We need him to help us keep living the life that brings glory to him. And so we can praise God that through faith in Jesus, we have God with us. Praise God that as followers of Jesus, he lives in us by his spirit. I don't know about you, but uh, I find it pretty easy uh, to forget sometimes <laughs> that I have the Holy Spirit living within me. Uh, my conservative Presbyterian upbringing was good for a lot of things, but it wasn't so good for teaching me the power of the Spirit in the Christian life. <laughs> I'll be honest about that. <laughs> I don't remember many sermons on the Holy Spirit growing up, or, uh, sermons on uh, living by the Spirit. I uh, don't remember a lot of that. And look, I'm a bit of a control freak. I find it most natural to rely on myself uh, and my own ability to get things done. Uh, When a job needs doing or I'm under pressure, I tend to just sort of put the head down and push on. When ministry gets a bit tough, when life gets a bit tough, you know, I just knuckle down and weather the storm. I often don't turn to prayer first time, every time. The first thought in my head is not always, oh, it's okay. God is living in me by his spirit. So often it takes a bit of a crisis. I don't know if it does for you too, to remember uh, and remind, for me to be reminded of God's presence in my life. 
to be reminded of how I rely on him for everything and I can rely on him for everything because I have his spirit. So I have to keep working at reminding myself to rely on God in prayer, to rely on him working in me by his spirit. Uh, I wonder if you, you are anything like that as I am. <laughs> Thankfully, even when we forget God is with us, well, God doesn't forget it. If you're a Christian, you have God's spirit within you. God lives in you. He's right there with you 24-7. He's the one with the power to do all things. Why would we go about simply relying on ourselves when we have God living within us? We can never forget how much we need God in our sinfulness and pride. Yes, we'll want to rely on ourselves. That's, that's the sinful nature. But without God living, is, living within us, everything in life, even in the end, our salvation will be our own responsibility. And if that's the case, we're in all sorts of trouble. Yeah? So, Christian, remember, God dwells within you. Uh, rely on him. Seek to glorify him with your life. Uh, the book of Exodus is the story of a nation who desperately need their God. Without him, they are trapped, lost, and powerless. Uh, it's only when Israel have God with them that they can be saved from slavery, that they can worship him appropriately, that they can go in the direction he wants them to go. God graciously gives his presence to a stiff-necked, rebellious people, and he gives his presence to us too. And through faith in Jesus, uh, God lives in us by his spirit. So let's pray that we would rely on him uh, in everything and uh, bring glory to him in the lives that we live. Uh, let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are almighty, the all-powerful God of the universe. We praise you because you are a loving and merciful God. We praise you for the salvation we can receive, the salvation uh, from sin through Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, uh, the assurance of salvation we have through faith in Jesus and the wonderful truth of you living within us by your spirit, Lord, because of what Jesus has done for us. We praise you for this, Lord. Help us to remember daily your goodness to us. Help us to remember daily all you've done and help us to remember that we're your people. You are our God and you live within our hearts. We praise you for your spirit. We praise you. I ask you that you would help us to live by the spirit. And as we do so, might we bring glory to you. We pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.